let me have my welcome to you this morning. Great to see you all here. And if you want to keep those couple of chapters open, and we're going to pray that God would help us understand them and apply it to our own lives. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that your glory has come in the person of Christ. Thank you that you did not leave this world in darkness. You are not a silent God, but you have spoken and you've spoken perfectly through your own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these words that we can reflect on this morning. Thank you that words spoken through your prophet Isaiah 750 years before Christ ring true for us today. So please, Lord, would you give us minds that are willing to engage with your word? Would you give us hearts that are receptive and ready to be changed? And would you cause us as your people, as the gospel is made known again, to shine that little bit more brightly for you and for your glory in this world. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. One of the first questions that you ask yourself when you prepare to teach the Bible, indeed when you read the Bible, is what's the big idea? What is the main point of this passage? What is it that Isaiah is driving at that God wants us to take away this morning? Because you see, that can be a pretty daunting question when confronted with Pretty much two long chapters of Isaiah. But thankfully for us this morning, Isaiah captures the big idea in the first two words of chapter 60. Have a look down. Two verbs, two powerful verbs that set the tone for what is to come. Arise and shine. Isaiah is speaking to the, to the faithful remnant of believers that remain in Jerusalem and Judah. Men and women of faith, Christians in our language today, and he says to these people, arise and shine. It is time to get to your feet as a people of God, as you live for the glory of God in this world. It was a pretty uh, common occurrence in the Wells household for me to be last up in the morning, Saturday mornings usually was my lie-in, and pretty frequently I'd be woken to my mum charging into my bedroom. I think you'll be familiar with this, all of us. Mum charges into the bedroom, rips open the curtains, sunlight streams into the bedroom, and in a voice way too chirpy for that particular time in the morning, my mum's like, wakey, wakey, rise and shine. And everything in you, right, wants to curl back up under your duvet and hide away for the next couple of hours. But to be fair to my mum, it was often pretty effective because her aim was a simple one, right? Her aim was to awake me up from my slumber, from spending the next two or three hours in the pit of my bedroom to embrace the day, to get outside and embrace all that that day held. And you see, God's point to his people is the same. He speaks to a group of believers, but a group of believers who are maybe asleep in their sin, who have lost sight of the promises of God. And he says, wakey, wakey, people of God, it is time to arise. It is time to embrace this day as the people of God, as you live for the glory of God in this world. Arise and shine is the big idea. For those of you who are visiting this morning. Let me backtrack a little bit just to give you a bit of shape of where we've come from and where we're going. There should be a little structure come up on the screen here. But we are pretty much midway through a 10-sermon series in the back end of Isaiah, working through chapter 55 through to chapter 66. And this morning and next week, when Neil picks up, we're looking at three chapters, chapter 60 to 62, 
that you will see there on the screen, they're sandwiched in between two bold and vivid descriptions of God returning as this divine warrior-like figure who is going to do two things. He's going to defeat his enemies and he's going to save his people. And sandwiched in between those two brackets, chapter 60 to 62, is the consequence of the divine warrior's work. When the Lord visits this world to save his people and transform his people, he will not leave them unchanged. It is a salvation so deep and so effective in the human heart that it will stir God's people up to get on their feet, to arise and to shine as we live lives for the display of God's glory in this world. And you see, friends, if you take nothing else from this morning, nothing else, I hope you do, but if you take nothing else, please take those two words, arise and shine. Let them rattle around your head and your heart this week as you hear the call of the kingdom of which you sank, the pull on your hearts to be a people of God who live for the glory of God. And all we're going to do in the next 20, 25 minutes is ask four questions that sit under that big idea as we help to understand it and apply it to our lives. We're going to look at the, the how, the what, the when, and the who. So firstly, the how. The call is simple, right? Arise and shine. But the question is how. How do we shine as God's people in his world? Have a look down again at verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. And his glory appears over you. Three times in those two verses, do you see the end of verse 1, twice at the end of verse 2, God makes it crystal clear where the source of the light is. The source of the light is God himself, right? The glory of the Lord appears on you. Because like the rest of this world, we are shrouded in darkness, all of us. Until the Lord's glory rises, until God shines his light into the human heart and helps us understand and appreciate God. And when that happens, as his people, we begin to reflect God's light back out into this universe. Don't know whether there's any budding astronomers in the room this morning, but I think you'll be fairly familiar with this object that should come up on the screen here. It's the moon, right? And it's a lovely sight in the moon, isn't it? You're walking out on a crystal clear sky and you look up, presented with a full moon, just hanging there in the sky, right? Bright and clear, shedding a glow across everything around you. But you see, what's pretty easy to forget when you look at the moon there, the moon itself omits no light. There is no light source within the moon. The moon is a cold, hard, dark lump of rock suspended in the sky by gravity, rotating around the earth. There is no light source within the moon. It cannot shine of its own accord. Why does the moon shine? Because it catches the rays and the light and the brightness and the glory of the sun. You see, when you see the moon shining in the sky, that isn't the light of the moon. It's the light of the sun that is reflected by the moon back out into the darkness of this universe. And so it is, Isaiah says, with the people of God, because our hearts are just like the moon. Dark, cold, and hard. 
There is no light within us by nature. There is no goodness within us by nature. But when the Lord's glory rises in your heart, when God shines his heart, his light into your heart and helps you understand and see what happens, you are changed inside. You are transformed inside and you begin to reflect, to shine out God's light into the darkness of this world around you. It is a point that the Bible makes again and again. It is God's work in the human heart that causes people to shine. And so the question we must ask ourselves this morning, if you're a Christian, isn't am I shining? That's the wrong question to ask. Because if you are a Christian, you will shine, however dimly it's inevitable. The moon hasn't got a choice, right? When the sun shines on it, it will shine. It can do nothing but shine. When God's glory rises in your heart, when he awakens a person to new life in Christ, you will shine. You really will. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is how brightly? How brightly, individually and collectively as a church, are we shining for the glory of the God in this world? How much of God's character can people see in us? That's his glory, right? His character. How much of God's love and joy and kindness and generosity and forgiveness and grace, how much do people see of God's glory in us? You may be captivated by the news that 11 shot dead in the church in America. What a beautiful thing to hear their relatives come out within hours of their relatives being shot to say, forgive you. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven them. It is a character of God and when God transforms the human heart, so we display that character, whether it's forgiveness, love, gentleness, kindness, it doesn't matter. But how, how brightly are we shining for Christ in his world? Tomorrow morning, when you go back into work, school playground, coffee shop with friends, wherever it is for you, Here's what I want you to say to yourself every single morning this week. I'm a moon. That's what I want you to say. I am a moon. And it is my job and it is my joy to display the glory of God to the peoples of this world. That they too might taste something of that salvation that can be found in Christ. Will you say that? Every morning this week. Shut the car door into work as you walk in there. I'm a moon, I'm a moon, I'm a moon. And it's my job and my joy to shine for Christ in this world. That's the how. How do we shine? By reflecting, appreciating the Lord's glory and living it out in our lives. The inevitable second question, though, is what is the result, right? What is the result when, as the people of God, we arise to our feet and live for the glory of God? Have a look down again at verse 3 to verse 6. This is what will happen. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Hopefully you notice the repetition. People will come. Right? 
When God's people rise their feet and shine for him, the people will come. The light will attract people in. When we as the people of God hold out the hope of the gospel, it will draw others to Christ, to the centre of that hope. Lost people will come back to Christ. And do you see where they come from if you scan down those verses? All over the place, right? Who's coming? Kings are coming. Nations are coming. People are coming from afar. Verse 6, from Midian and Ephah. Verse 6, from Sheba. Verse 7, all of Kedar's flocks. Verse 9, in the, lead, in the lead of the ships of Tarshish, they too will come. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon will come. On and on and on. People will come back to Christ from the four corners of this world when the people of God stand up for God and shine for the glory of God. And it is our privilege then to watch them come. Do you see that in verse 4? How passive is God's command now? Lift your eyes and look about you. Verse 1, the two verbs were pretty active, right? Arise, up you get, shine, display. And now he just says, as that happens, just look. Just watch. And the people will come. It is the enormous privilege of us as believers to see lost people who don't know Christ come back to find a living relationship with the God of this universe as by his grace we shine for him. And when that happens, you notice what? takes place in the human heart then you will look and be radiant your heart will throb and swell with joy because there is no joy like it when lost people return to Christ there is no joy like it I was flicking through a little folder I keep um, it's called my keep folder surprisingly and it's got basically anything Anything of encouragement that's happened in my life, whether it's a little card or a note or an email or a text. And I keep these things to look back and remember God's goodness and what he's doing in this world. And there's one text in there that I came across from a guy called Finley Brown, Northern Irish boy from Coleraine. He was on our academy, our gap year program, six years ago in 2009. And I had this text from him. It came about two or three months after the academy. And it said this. Hey, Wells. Just off the phone with Casey, who has given his life to Christ, in brackets, at last. It is happy, happy days. You don't know Finley, and it's not personal to you, but cast your minds back to people that you've seen come to know Christ. There's no joy like it. Finley had witnessed alongside Casey since year seven of school, six or seven years, and he's not a big bravo lad, Finley. He just steadily goes about his business of living for God in all his weaknesses, day after day after day. And then that moment in time when the Lord's glory rises in Casey's heart as well, and he comes to Christ, he is drawn through the witness of Finley and others to the hope held out in the gospel. And the text doesn't capture it, right? But I saw Finley about a month later, and he's still beaming, radiant. Do you see it there, verse 5? How emotive is that verse? You will look and be radiant. Finley was just beaming, and his heart was bubbling. It wasn't just swelling and throbbing. It had burst, because a person that he had loved had come back to a relationship with the living God. It is the mission of this church, yeah? 
to see lives changed by Christ as God takes hold of our hearts in here, as we get the word of God open, as his spirit works in our hearts, we are transformed and we leave this building and we walk into this world as a transformed people in order that the lives of others would too be transformed by that same gospel. And it is the joy and the privilege to watch them come. And the Lord Jesus himself, he makes the same point, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 5, you have the verse up on the screen at the beginning. But let me read it to you again, just so it's crystal clear this morning. From verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5, this is what Jesus says to his followers. You are the light of the world. The way God makes his glory known now in this world is through his people. You are are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it's light and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are God's light in this world. And where should we be? Not under a bowl, on a stand. Because a light's job is to give light to a room. And so it is with the people of God. God calls us to live gospelly, intentional, centred lives upon Christ in the world, in the darkness where we need to be. So that God's light, God's glory, God's goodness might be seen through you and that others may come. And it is our joy to watch them come. But notice we don't share in the praise The glory belongs to the Father in heaven, right? And that's Isaiah's point in verse 6 as well. All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. We share in the privilege of God's work, but we don't share in his glory. The praise belongs to him because it's his light, the moon, right? It's not our light. Praise doesn't belong to me or you. It's his light that is wonderfully transmitted through his people into the darkness of this world. How do we shine? We shine as we reflect the Lord's glory. What is the result? You shine, people come. And our third question, when will this be fulfilled? Simple promise. When do we see the fulfillment of all that God is promising here? And to answer that question, I want to take us back to a little scribble that Mark introduced us to, I think, in the first sermon when he introduced the book of Isaiah. Because you see, when God makes a promise in the Bible, and the promise here is, you shine, others come. That's the promise. When God makes a promise in the Bible, we'll often see three levels or mountain peaks of fulfillment. There will be a fulfillment for the people at the time, the original readers who heard this message from Isaiah's own lips. There will be a a greater fulfillment in the person of Christ, and there will be a final, final fulfillment in heaven, in the world to come. And so just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the people who first heard this message. 750 to 700 B.C., This was a word of hope and encouragement for a people who were about to be battered by the Babylonians. God's judgment was coming. Babylon were about to level the city of Jerusalem. It was about to be flattened and God's temple was about to be burned to the ground. And God's faithful remnant carried off into exile to be in Babylon. In the language of verse 2, darkness was about to cover the land as God's judgment came. 
But through the lips of Isaiah, God says to his people, the darkness will not last because the glory of God will once again rise. Light the sun in the morning to dispel the darkness. There is hope beyond judgment, he says to these people. There is a light to come. There is a return from exile. The day will come when you leave Babylon and return. You come back to worship the living God in Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and be the people of God in the place of God once again. And that's exactly what happened in 538 BC when Cyrus, king of Persia, the king of the next superpower after Babylon, wrote a little decree to say God's people can return and rebuild. And return they did under Ezra and Nehemiah. We see an immediate fulfillment for the people of God here who are about to go into exile. But we see a greater fulfillment as always in the person of Christ. You may be more familiar with the story later on in the Bible when foreigners once again travel from afar, guided by a star in the sky, to worship a newborn king. And what do they come with? Gifts of gold, incense and myrrh. Have a look at verse 6 for the parallels again. They come bringing their wealth to worship the newborn king. Because 750 years after God first spoke this message, he entered the world in a more personal way through his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came as the light of the world to dispel darkness and to draw people back to himself. And through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, through his sin-bearing work, it enabled sinful people like me and you to return, to come back, as Isaiah promises here, to the living God, to know him and love him and serve him forever. There is a greater fulfillment in the person of Christ and his people subsequently as we live for him in his glory. But there is also a final, final fulfillment in heaven. When one day people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue, from Sheba, from all these places mentioned here, from Longcrendon, from Tame, from every single corner of this world, and they will gather around the throne in glory to worship God and live under his blessing forever. Have a look down at verse 19 of chapter 60 onwards as Isaiah paints this picture of a better future, of a hope to come, of a perfectly restored world which he is pointing his people to here. Look at verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. Keep a finger in Isaiah 60. And flick forward in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Because what Isaiah captures a glimpse of here in chapter 60 from God's own mouth, the Apostle John sees with more clarity as he paints the picture of the new creation. And one day his people will taste. <laughs> we will see this with our own eyes when we enter glory ourselves. And listen for the repeated language, the echoes of Isaiah that you hear in Revelation. Revelation 21 from verse 23, you'll notice all the same language. Look, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut for there will be no more night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It is a place where the glory of God shines forever. No need for sun or moon, because the glory of God will give its light. And guess what? God's glory will never, ever set. It will irradiate for all eternity, and we as his people will bask in his glory, under his goodness, and enjoy his blessing forever. And do you see the threats to the new world? There is no threat, right? There is no threat. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no more night there. In the old days, in Isaiah's day, nighttime comes, what do you do? You lock all the doors, you batten up the hatches and the city walls. Why? Because that's when invasion comes. It was what was on the doorstep for these people all the time. When are the Babylonians coming? We know they're coming. We know it's going to be bleak. And they live with uncertainty their whole lives. God says for us, when he brings in the new creation, the gates are never shut. There is no threat of invasion anymore. There is no one that is going to take away God's promise of God's goodness and of God's hope for his people. And we will live in that world forever. It is a place where the glory of God will never fade and nothing will affect it. Why? Because the divine warrior has come. When Christ returns, all opposition is dealt with and it will be for God's people to enjoy his world for all eternity. Isaiah gives me and you today a glimpse of the world to come and I hope you can taste it. As you sit there, I hope you can taste something of what that world will be like because that's Isaiah's job as he points his people to the hope to come. How do we shine? By reflecting the glory of God. What is the result? People come. When will this be fulfilled? It has been fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. One day it will be fulfilled in perfection in the new heavens and the new earth. And finally, as we wrap things up, who is God's saving work centred upon? Hopefully you know the answer to that question as you're sat there, but let's take a look at chapter 61 as we finish. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. And so it goes on. Who is the me? Have a look down in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me. Who is the me? Jesus. Once again, for the last time, put a finger in your Bible and jump to Luke chapter 4, because it is these very words here at the start of Isaiah 61, that Jesus uses to introduce his own ministry and his own work. Luke chapter 4, let's read from verse 16. He, that's Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Jesus walks into synagogue, a scroll is put in its hand. It's the scroll of Isaiah. It's what we've got here in our Bibles. Where is he going to read from? Where is Jesus going to turn to? What's the reading for this morning? Where is he going to go? And where does he go? He goes to Isaiah 61. 
and he reads those very words that we have just heard read there. Then verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everything that the Old Testament points forward to, all of God's good and glorious and outrageous promises, all that he speaks of here, filled, fulfilled perfectly in Christ. It is fulfilled in your hearing, says the Lord Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's saving work. He is God's glory in person. The whole of Scripture points to the Lord Jesus, and if we ever lose sight of him, we'll be in bother and we'll stop shining, because it all points to Christ. But do you notice, as we do finish, where Jesus ends his reading? Do you see that there? It's on the screen, isn't it? It's a question, where do we finish our reading? Where do we start? Where do we finish our reading? But look what Jesus stopped short of saying, in yellow on the screen. And the day of vengeance of our God. Why did Jesus stop his reading before that? Why does he say all the good stuff, if you like? The Spirit of the Lord's on me to preach good news to the poor, to release captives, to proclaim and bring in the year of the Lord's favour. Why does Jesus stop short of saying what Isaiah did when he says, and the day of vengeance of our God? Why? You see, the answer is actually pretty simple. Because there are two comings of Christ. Jesus has come once, 2,000 years ago, and he came to seek and save the lost. He came as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 to lay down his life on the cross, to suffer, to bring lost people back to God. But one day he's coming again, because Jesus died, rose, ascended into glory, and one day... At an hour unknown to us, but known to God, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back as the divine warrior of Isaiah 59 and 63. And at that point, he will finally defeat all his enemies, and he will gather up his people and bring them to the new creation forever. You see, we see Jesus' work, if you like, in two parts. He came firstly to save, and then he's coming back to judge and wrap up history. And we live in a day there, as you see on the screen, in between the two comings of Christ. We can look back and rejoice in all what God has done for us in Christ. But the day will come, and maybe this afternoon, when Jesus Christ will return in glory, and every eye will see, and he will come to finish what he started 2,000 years ago. When we begin to live in view of that future, does the call of Isaiah chapter 60, not impress a little bit more urgently on your hearts. Because it is our job and our joy until that day arrives as the people of God, by the grace of God, to stand on our two feet and to walk into this world and with God's help to shine. To shine in a way that will bring others back to Christ. Let me give you a minute to ponder what God's spoken to you this morning. And then the band are going to come up to close with our final song. Let's take a minute. Let's stay standing as we pray. As a reminder, it's our call to arise as a people of God together to stand on our feet as we live for his glory in his world. Dear Lord Jesus, please help us to be a people who reflect on the gospel, who love the gospel, who cherish the gospel in our own hearts. 
in such a way that we would live distinctly godly lives in this world, attractive lives that would bring the nations in. And it is our prayer this morning, Lord Jesus, that the nations indeed would come, that they'd be drawn to the light of Christ that is held out in his people. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.